This is God's word. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of, of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it down at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property uh, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it it remained unsold, why uh, did did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your hearts? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her alongside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We are... Uh, just looking at this text this evening because it tells us a a couple of important things about community. When we started Foundation Church Belfast, we wanted to be known, among a lot of other things, we wanted to be known for our community, the community that is existing here in the church, not just here on Sunday evenings, as important as that is, but what happens among us through the week, the community that is being formed among us. And we want that to be a gospel-centered community because of a gospel-centered word. Uh, A community centered around the gospel word that we've just been reading about, summed up in the Apostles' Creed. And and, and we want that to be not just something we believe with our minds, but something that actually sinks into our hearts and, and makes a difference in the way that we treat one another, who believe the same thing, also those who don't believe and yet are outside the church. And so we want that to flow into acts of visible love and care in the context of the community of the local church. That's what we want to be known about. There's nothing new about that. There's nothing particularly uh, different to other churches, but above all the things that we could be doing as a church, that is one of the things that we want to be known for. We want the gospel to make changes in real life because the kind of gospel community that the Bible talks about that we want to see here by the power of God in our church is a beautiful thing because it's real 
It's authentic because it has depth, because it is a place of healing, because it is glorious. And so that is what we come to when we look at this, this text here, this, this early church community. But the point that I'm going to get to in a few moments' time is this. Within the gospel community of the local church, there are some people who add to that gospel-centered community, and there are some people who take away. There are some people who make community, if you like, and some people who break community. And so we see that in, uh, in a few moments' time. Uh, we, we just love reading the end of Acts chapter 4 and the end of Acts chapter 2. They give us these two glimpses of the early church community. It was a beautiful thing. But the Bible is not only uh, wonderful and visionary in that sense, it is also realistic. And it shows us uh, some of the challenges to that community, some of the threats to that community, some of the issues that arise. And the reason why we're interested in this is that the same threat to that beautiful gospel community that happened back in the first century AD, that same threats or threats are still very much a real threat to us today. And so we need to look at what happened and learn from it so that we ourselves can arm ourselves, can be strong against those threats. So we can think in terms of community makers and community breakers. So let me explain what I mean by a community maker. And we're going to be focusing for this next few minutes on verses 32 to 37 of chapter 4. Okay? Gives us this summary passage of what this community looks like what it looked like in the day, what we pray and hope will look like uh, among us, and I believe it is already happening. The full number of those who believe, that is every believer, says in verse 32, were of one heart and soul. They were united together, of one heart, their passion and their soul, or in the NIV, their mind, united together in their purpose, in their motivations, in who they are as a people. And it goes on to say that no one considered what they had as their own stuff, but ultimately was at the disposal of everybody. To be given to blessing and encouraging and building up those within the gospel community. And it says in verse 33, with great power, the apostles were testifying, giving, giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We see this beautiful picture here of people loving and giving and serving one another practically at cost to themselves, of the good news of Jesus Christ being powerfully demonstrated. So you've got the word and you've got the community side by side, and that's exactly what I'm getting at. There is no need within this gospel community. Why is that? Well, look at verse 34 and 35. It says, anyone who was owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is a totally radical thing that was happening. And yet because of Jesus and what he's done and the good news and the, and the fact that it's true and that people have seen him raised on the third day and ascended, because of that, it sort of resets the way that we look at our money and the way that we treat one another, because that stuff is true. And so we see the great difference that that makes here in the church. But that's not normal behavior. And we see this chap here by the name of Barnabas in verse 36, otherwise known as uh, Joseph, who embodies true community. 
It says this is a guy who himself had, some, had a field and he sold it and he bought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is someone who is a community maker. And the apostles, clearly at that time, uh, were sort of in charge of distributing uh, to the church those who had needs. And so that's what happened. You can see the benefits, can't you, of the Christian community and how radical that is and how it's so different to the world's attempts at providing community. Not that those attempts, whatever they may be, are illegitimate, but nothing is so deep and rich as, as what we see here in the scripture that we want to be part of here at Foundation Church. We want to hear those stories uh, coming up from among ourselves of, of this stuff happening. That's what we want to see. So we've got community makers, and Barnabas is very much summed up as a community maker. But then in verses 5 through to 11, we, we see a sort of extended discussion on this husband and wife team um, called Ananias and Sapphira, or Sapphira, I don't know what you want to call it. That sounds too much like a Vauxhall car, so we'll go with Sapphira instead of Sapphira. All right. um, similar to Barnabas, in the sense that they had some property or a field, and they sold it, and they brought it to the apostles' feet. So kind of externally, they look the same. It looks like they're doing the same thing. They're building community. But after they laid at the feet of the apostles, a few things happen. They both end up dead, killed by God for what they did. So what's going on? Why, why is it that we've got two groups of people who both do the same thing, and yet one is sort of encouraged, uh, blessed by, by his encouragement, the other the others the other end up dead? Well, you can see it yourself in verses 2 and 3, this phrase that comes up twice. He kept back for himself, in verse 2, some of the proceeds. And again in verse 3, when Peter's calling him out, he says, why, why is it in your heart you've lied to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself? Keep back. This is, this is the core of what's going on in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They've kept back something. They've misappropriated or they've sort of stolen something that wasn't theirs. We don't know the backstory. Perhaps they had sort of promised to sell the land and, and, and give, give the money to the church, pledged it in some way. But as we'll see, the issue was not that they kept some of it back per se, but that they lied and made out that was the full amount. Peter said, of course, in verse 4, just explains it. While it remained unsold, did it not, was it not your own? It's, it's your field, he says. You could do with it what you wish. After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Could you not do with it what you want, do with the money what you wanted? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. You see, the issue here in this community-breaking activity was not that they generously gave to the church or sold some property. It's that they made out that that was more than they actually so that was less, more than they actually had. They kept some back for themselves. And in effect, they were lying. Yes to men, yes to the apostles, yes to the church. Trying to project some sort of image of themselves to the church. They were godly and generous and all that stuff. But in actual fact, they weren't as generous as they let on. Ultimately, he said, you've been lying to God and lying to the Holy Spirit, who is God. How did Peter know this was going on in their hearts? And was, he, was he stood in the, the post office queue and saw them making a large withdrawal and 
Had, had they heard somehow along the line from gossip, oh, you know, that's not the price they got for the field, it's this. Seems most likely that Peter, as one of the apostles, had this supernaturally revealed to him. He had the ability to see for that moment into the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira and knew what was going on because of a, a work of the Holy Spirit. And so it says there that as soon as he heard these words, he fell down dead, he breathed his last. And then a few hours later it says that his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and clearly she had a chance to come clean. And so Peter goes through the same conversation again, and it seems that they had agreed together to do, to do this. He said, why, why, why is it that you've conspired together to test uh, in verse 9, the Spirit of the Lord. Behold, he says, the feet of those who've just buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down, I love that, at his feet. That's where the money should have been, right? At the apostles' feet. She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came and buried her next to her husband. And she died as well. And as we see in verse 11, great fear came across the whole church. Hardly surprising, is it? Um... If we had a gift day, maybe in a few weeks' time, and a couple of you put in your money and uh, you know, suddenly dropped dead, we'll know why, based on this passage here. But I'm hoping and praying that doesn't happen. Uh, but you never know. What's going on here? They've been lying to human faces. They've been trying to make out they're more generous than they are. But ultimately, they've been lying to God and to the Holy Spirit. They've been trying to appear more spiritual, more holy, more pious than they actually were. They, they wanted more glory from the church than they were prepared to sacrifice for. They wanted the praise and affirmation of the people. They wanted to schmooze. They wanted to subvert. They wanted to get some sort of religious power. Manipulating for personal gain. We, we look. Either way, Peter called them out. And the Holy Spirit dealt with them there and there by killing them on the spot. So destructive to the community was their behavior that they were made an example of so that the whole church would know how not to behave. Sounds rather harsh. So let's just think for a moment where we've come so far. We've got the community maker called Barnabas, son of encouragement, and we've got the community breakers, Ananias and Sapphira. He, Barnabas, was selfless in giving. They were selfish. Even in the use of their gifts and giving, they wanted to appear better than they really were. He and his Giving, that is, Barnabas was rooted in the gospel because of Jesus dying for my sins, being raised again. And all that that means to me, he was motivated by the gospel. They were motivated by something else, by self-promotion. For, for Barnabas, his response was the gospel. For theirs, their response was their own desires. He submitted to the Spirit. They lied to the Spirit. He was genuine and compassionate. They were false and manipulative. He was open and respectful of godly leaders. They were seeking to subvert and usurp the leaders for their own ends. And the scandal is this, ladies and gentlemen. Both of these people were found 
in the gospel community of the local church. One uh, famous writer uh, in evangelical circles by the name of John Stott said that the enemy of the church is the devil, and the devil is quite unimaginative when it comes to thinking of ways to destroy or lessen the church, because he uses the same trick year after year, century after century. And I suppose we could say the reason he uses it is because it works time after time. We don't seem to learn the lessons of an earlier generation. And so when we come to this text just here, rather than it being an interesting study and comparing and contrasting, we need to ask ourselves as a church, does this happen to us? And if so, how do we prevent this from happening? What do we do to make sure that that is not said one day of Foundation Church? I'm not talking necessarily about the people dropping dead here. What I'm talking about is those that sow the seeds of division, that project a more holy appearance than they actually have, that are inauthentic in the way that they are with one another. Because that stuff there starts to erode and destroy and split from within. Devastating. Sometimes you can pick it up in people. Sometimes you get a rough idea that maybe they are trying to project something. But let's face it, a lot of the reasons why this works in the local church is because often we're blind to it. We don't know what's going on in people's hearts. We only see the fruit many years later. But as Peter says, when we do this, when we project a certain holiness or a certain religious piousness, which is bigger and greater than we actually are, Peter says, you're not lying to men. You're not, you're not putting a face on and carrying it off among your fellow church members. You're lying to God. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. See, it's not just the money here. We're not talking about the money. The issue is the heart. The issue is the pretense. It is the fakery. It is the projection. It is the Instagram Christianity. Making out that we are a lot better than we really are. Let me just be clear, uh, in case you're wondering, this does not mean that if you had a field or a house or 20 pounds in your pocket, this does not mean that you must give it all. If you want to give half of that to the church, 10%, 1%, that's completely down to you. That is not the issue. The issue is, which one are you? Are you the community maker? With a heart motivated by the gospel, full of generosity and sacrifice? Or are you going to be a community breaker? Posturing, working the angles, manipulating, manipulating, giving people what they want to hear so that you get further in the church, so that you appear more holy than other people. That's the issue at heart. Yes, they were treated harshly by God. They were made an example of. And most often, God does not respond in the same way today. But there is so much at stake when it comes to the gospel community in the local church, as it was then. God dealt severely with Ananias and Sapphira to leave an eternal message, a reminder for the church. There's so much at stake. 
our, our witness as a church, our vitality as a church, the glory of God as a church. All of these things are committed, so connected to community makers or community breakers. Therefore, as we were saying a few weeks ago, as a church, we are committed to church discipline, which is one of the marks of a healthy church. We did a teaching series on that at the beginning of our time together um, back in February. So you can go back online and look at that if you want. Church discipline is a way that we just look after one another. We, we do the Christian life together. And when there are things going on in one another's lives, we get alongside and we say, look, brother, sister, let me help you. There is one area here that we need to talk about. That's why we need this. We need each other to make sure we're community makers and not turning into community breakers, wandering down that road. This place, this stuff has no place in the local church. That's why it's our responsibility to, to help one another, to love one another enough to speak the truth where necessary. And so in closing, at Foundation Church, it's all very well us saying we want to be the kind of church that has this deep and rich gospel. But we want to be defined as community makers, as a group of people who are transformed by the gospel of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. We, we want to be defined as a group of people who treat our money and our time and our relationships differently, who live a life differently because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't want to be known as a church that is just full of dissent and division and ill health, disease. We want to be a church that's committed to building one another up, not tearing each other down. We want to be the kind of people who put God first, others second, and just ourselves third. We want to be the kind of church that responds to the gospel with radical acts of generosity and compassion. We want to be the kind of church that has no poor among us because we take passages like this seriously. We want to be the kind of church that considers our own worldly resources, whether you have much or little in the eyes of everyone else in the world. We want to be the kind of church that considers those things to be nothing but trinkets in comparison to the treasure that is Jesus Christ. The question is, are you willing to join us on that journey as God, the Holy Spirit, works among us, applying to us the good news of the gospel of Jesus? There's no half-heartedness. Will you join us as we do that? Let's pray. Our Holy Spirit, we pray just now that you would come and convict us of our, of our sinful ways if we have sinned in this way, either recently or in part times past, where we have projected something that's not true. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us as individuals here this evening, that you would protect us as a church. And we pray that these marks of a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community here at Foundation Church will be ever-growing. We pray that as we grow, that we would give glory to you, that people will be added to our number, that they will come and receive 
transforming relationships that are focused around Jesus Christ. And so we pray all these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.